Welcome to day eight of our exploration of the Lord's Prayer. As I've been saying, there's a wealth of material here to fuel a lifetime of prayer. And so we've been slowly working our way through it, line by line, word by word, gleaning all we can to help us pray like Jesus. If you remember what we're doing this week is taking a closer look at the line where Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I think we've got a bit of work to do here because in my experience, most Christians don't have a great deal of clarity on what the kingdom of God actually is. If we're honest, we're not quite sure what's going on in heaven right now that we're going on here on earth if the kingdom were to come. But the good news is the writers of scripture spent an enormous amount of time reflecting on this very issue. It's like large swathes of both the Old and the New Testament are devoted to describing what the earth would look like if it were aligned rightly with the kingdom of heaven. And so over the next couple of days, I want to dig just a little deeper into what the kingdom of God actually looks like. How do we go about recognizing it? What exactly are its characteristics. Well, here are a couple of insights to help shape your praying. First of all, it's a kingdom of peace. Isaiah 2 verse 4 says, God will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So let those words sink in. When God's kingdom comes, there'll be no more fighting, no more hatred. There won't be any need for weapons and so they'll be turned into gardening equipment. And there'll be peace. There'll be no such thing as enemies. It's how it's put in Isaiah 11 verse 6. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. Infants will play near the hole of a cobra. And young children will put their hands into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Do you get the picture? The writer's using pretty graphic imagery to convey what the world would look like if the kingdom of God were fully realised. He's imagining a world in which there's no need for the police or the army or guns or missiles. He's imagining a day when there's no tension or conflict or jealousy or opposition between nations. He's imagining peace on earth. Interestingly, in John's Gospel, peace be with you are the words that Jesus uses to greet his disciples immediately after his resurrection. However, he also makes it clear that peace on earth comes only to those who are part of his kingdom. So if you like, our job as citizens of the kingdom is to bring about God's peace on earth as it is in heaven by loving our enemies, by repaying evil with good, by being peacemakers in situations of conflict and by proclaiming the gospel of peace so that more and more people come to faith and experience for themselves God's abundant peace. Which all sounds pretty inspiring, doesn't it? But it's brought a whole lot closer to home in Luke 1 verse 17, where it speaks of God turning the hearts of the fathers to their children. Again, just try and picture that. No more separations, no more divorce, no more affairs, no abuse, no neglect, no unloved, unwanted children. 
Members of a household will stay up late at night thinking up new ways to serve each other. Children will insist that their younger brother or sister gets the larger piece of cake. People will turn on daytime TV to watch shows with titles like My Spouse Secretly Loves Me Twice As Much As I Thought He Did. Just let your imagination run wild. And then pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let there be peace on earth as there is in heaven. And then, building on this, the Bible is also clear that the kingdom of God crosses all divides. If you read the Gospels, you'll see that people were constantly puzzled by Jesus' choice of companions. He was known, wasn't he, as a friend of tax collectors, this group who were clearly identified with the foreign exploiters. Though he repeatedly denounced the religious system of his day. He treated a religious leader like Nicodemus with respect. And although he spoke out against the dangers of money and violence, he showed love and compassion towards a rich young ruler and a Roman centurion. In short, Jesus honoured the dignity of people, whether or not he agreed with them. And he certainly didn't found his kingdom on the basis of race or class or any other kind of division. Anyone, even a Samaritan adulteress, a prostitute, a thief dying on a cross, anyone was welcome to join his kingdom. It's like his love for people cut right across lines, boundaries, divides and distinctions. If you remember that there was an occasion where Jesus told a story about a good Samaritan who showed love to an enemy in need. He spoke of a shepherd going in search of a lost sheep. He told of a banquet where invitations went out to the outcasts of society. The point is simple. The kingdom of God has room for everyone. And those who inhabit the kingdom will readily show love and welcome others regardless of their background. And so, when we pray, your kingdom come, we don't just pray for our friends or our neighbours, but for people with whom we have nothing in common, for people from other nations, for the rich and for the poor, for the famous and for those on the margins of society. Can I urge you, won't you pray those kinds of prayers for our church. Lord, let your kingdom come among us in all its diversity, all its richness. Won't you help us to cross divides and break through barriers? Won't you help us to build a church here that truly reflects your manifold, multicoloured wisdom? In fact, there's no time like the present. If you want to see God's kingdom breaking down every divide and bringing peace, why not pray for it right now?